Thank you for joining us for Revive the Drive, a ministry of the Bethany Fellowship of Churches. We live in a world where time is a precious commodity. One of the avenues for reviving our souls is the necessary commute to and from the many places our schedules take us. As the wheels of the car begin to turn, join our panel and set the wheels of your mind in motion as you consider the significance and impact of theology on everyday life. Let's listen in as our pastors talk theology. Welcome to this session of Revive the Drive. I'm Art Georges. This is Rich Burkle and Daniel Bennett also joining me. And in this session, we want to discuss the topic of repentance. We covered it, touched on it in an earlier session, but we want to discuss what is biblical repentance and is repentance necessary for salvation. We said earlier that repentance... Uh, was like one of the two sides of a coin that express uh, biblical salvation, faith and repentance being two sides of the same coin. Uh, When I was in seminary, I worked at a Christian college, and most of the students felt uh, sometimes mistakenly that we seminary students were a little ahead of them on the curve, and so they would ask us questions. I had a, a student approach me once, and she asked me, Uh, for uh, a research study that she was doing, whether or not repentance was only required in uh, the saving equation of of being born again or whether it was required that we repent uh, continually through the course of our faith and life. And I thought, you know, that's a great question, Uh, and it shows me that there may be some confusion in the Christian world over this issue of repentance. Acts chapter 11 verse 18 uh, records the conversion of Cornelius's household and the response that some of the Jews had. And Peter uh, said that he understood when Cornelius and his household came to faith that God must have also granted them the repentance that led to uh, salvation. And so we know that repentance is granted by God, but uh, let's talk about what true repentance is, because men, uh, we're familiar that, uh, with the fact that there are some confusing ideas about what repentance is. Uh, we want to help our listener to understand it more fully in this session. Yeah, and maybe it would be good to talk about what tr- repentance is by first saying what it's not. Okay. Some, is that okay? Some, some of the wrong ideas about repentance. And you think uh, the Catholic Church, for example, uh, has sometimes confused repentance with penance there's a you know the latin vulgate translated the 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 scripture passages that talks about john the baptist coming preaching repentance they they said he was saying to do penance to do things like there was a certain works that a person needed to perform or even in some churches today when you use the word repentance what they're thinking of is a is a process or a series of works that a person does in order to be found right with god and so Mm. We have we have to rightly understand what repentance is by understanding what what it's not. Repentance isn't a work that we do in order to be found acceptable to God. It's not a, a series of works that we do or a long uh, series of, of processes by which we find ourselves acceptable to God. And I think that's some wrong understandings that exist out there about repentance. Mm, that's good. You know, it's so it's so beautiful how Scripture answers these hard questions if we're willing to rightly divide the word. And I'm so thankful for what Matthew records John the Baptist as saying to those who came to him 
he challenged them and he said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So repentance is this internal change uh, that brings forth fruit and, and it's all uh, required. You cannot have a repentance that does not bear fruit. That would be a false repentance. Mm. And so uh, Rich, how else do we see repentance confused in our Yeah, when, when we talked about faith and the nature of faith, we, we talked about how there was an intellectual aspect. Your mind is engaged in understanding who Christ is and, and seeing him uh, for being truth embodied. We also talked about a heart response, uh, a desire for Christ, a desire to, to move toward him, to love him. And we talked about a response of the will, a commitment. And, and all those three things really are also true of repentance. Um, repentance have, has an intellectual aspect of understanding the gravity of sin and the righteousness of God. And we come and see, yep, sin was wrong. I understand that now with my mind. But it's also a heart response as well, where there's a real grief or sorrow over sin um, and an abhorrence of it, hatred of it. And, and I, I think that's an aspect oftentimes that people rush past in their repentance, that they, that they can agree, yep, what I did was wrong. But, they, but we, we often don't see the, the grievous nature of it and grieve over our own sin. And, and then there's a volitional element. There's a determination that, that we are through with sin and uh, that, that we, we have no intention of returning to sin, but we have every determination in, in our will to forsake it and to move from it and to move toward God. And so all those things are aspects that are part of repentance. Uh, you know, this doctrine of repentance, it's just interesting. If you just take a concordance and look up the term repent, you will see so many rich passages of Scripture that will help you and help us to understand more about what God means when he calls us to repent. I just want to read a couple of them to you from the Old Testament. In Jeremiah 5, 3, O Lord, do not look your eyes, excuse me, O Lord, do not your eyes look for truth. You have struck them down, but they felt no anguish. You have consumed them, but they refused to take correction. They have made their faces harder than rock, and they have refused to repent. And there he's, he's uh, kind of paralleling these ideas of people who refuse to repent with the people whose faces are harder than rock. They refuse to take correction, and they feel no anguish. And then um, in Ezekiel eighteen thirty, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. And earlier in Ezekiel, he says, repent and turn away from all your idols. And so there is this response to sin and to idolatry that's mm-hmm. part of uh, repentance. Yeah. Daniel, talk about that uh, passage in Second Corinthians 7 where Paul mm-hmm. addresses sorrow. Uh, sometimes we think being sorry for an offense against someone uh, or God is... Um, is what repentance is. Talk about how that passage helps us to understand true repentance and false repentance. Well, that's good. Cause, you know, because Rich mentioned there are those three aspects of repentance, and he mentioned the second one, this emotional reaction. And sometimes we can have that emotional reaction to sin. We can understand intellectually that it's wrong, and yet it's still not be true repentance because that third aspect that mm-hmm. Rich mentioned isn't present. So here's what Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 7, he's talking about this letter that he wrote to them and 
how he was concerned that uh, they hadn't truly repented after reading his letter. And then he says this in verse 10, uh, for godly grief, in other words, there's there's a worldly grief that's not going to produce real repentance. It's going to produce a false repentance. And there's this godly grief that's going to produce a genuine repentance. He says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And then he talks about the characteristics of this godly sorrow this that produced true repentance. He said there was an earnestness this godly grief produced in you. They, they were desirous to, to turn from their sin, that, that third element that Rich mentioned, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves. In other words, there was this desire mm-hmm. to show people, look, this is who I used to be, and now this is who I am now. There was indignation. They were, they, they were very upset about the reality of sin in their lives. There was fear. Man, I know where this sin leads to. I don't want to continue. He says, what longing. There's a desire for release, release of this sin. What zeal, what punishment, a turning and, and putting barriers in place to continue in sin. Mm-hmm. Then he says, at every point, you've proved yourselves innocent in the matter. And the problem is, you know, whenever a person comes to talk to us about a sin they've they've been caught in or that they have encountered in their own lives or as we're thinking about the sin in our own lives, you know, a person can sit in our office or sit across the kitchen table talking to someone and just be in tears and, and bawling and just so upset about what's happened. And it can, it can be a worldly sorrow, but they can also be sitting across from us in tears, weeping and wailing and it, and it be a, a godly sorrow the presence of tears, the presence of an emotional reaction doesn't tell us whether or not someone's genuinely repentant over sin. What proves genuine repentance is the fruit that it produces. And and you mentioned John the Baptist and think about the things that he told people to do. Look, if you're truly repentant, soldiers, this is what you do. Tax collectors, this is what you do. And, uh, that's, that's so crucial as we think about what true repentance looks like versus what false repentance looks Mm -hmm. like. Mm Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it's hard to tell immediately whether or not even one's own repentance is true or false. And, you know, it seems like uh, that false repentance often is a turning away from the effects of sin. Those Mm -hmm. effects might be just the the emotional sense of guilt. Uh, It might be uh, some relationship that's been broken as a result of the sin. It might be the the punishment that 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 sin requires, and and we grieve over those effects of sin. But that's not real repentance. Repentance is grieving over the sin itself, and and and, and seeing a change, a turning away from sin instead yeah. of. Sometimes we think we're repenting, but we're replacing one sin with another sin. Yes. So Judas turns from one sin, and then kills himself. Right. You know, it, it doesn't lead to life. It leads to yeah. further. Death. Yeah. So what was what was uh, lacking in the repentance of Judas? Well, so I think we mentioned those three elements. Uh, there were there was an intellectual understanding that what he had done was wrong. There was a uh, a recognition, an emotional reaction to that, but there but it wasn't uh, combined with you know, a God given desire to, to turn from mm-hmm. that sin. Yeah. And, and really, the other side of the coin was missing. Faith. Right? Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's faith right. in Christ, right? Yeah. I mean, it, he didn't humble himself before God. He remained in self-righteousness. And in repentance, there's always a turning from and a turning to. Yeah. Right. And uh, so it's a turning from sin. And, and if we don't turn to God as we turn away from sin, like Daniel mentioned, we're just going to end up turning to another sin. Yeah. It might be more respectable, <laughs> But it's another sin, nonetheless. That's good. That's good.
Well, um, I had mentioned in the introduction, um, but let's talk a little about uh, uh, whether or not repentance is something that we produce, or where does it come from? How is it how is it obtained for the listener that might be struggling with something and uh, wants to know? Well, how can I repent of this sin? Yeah, you know, at first it's a commandment, and so it is responsibility. But we also recognize that apart from the grace of God at work in our lives, uh, we will never want to obey that commandment. You know, we love our sin too much, and that's why we're dead in our sins. We're enslaved to sin. And, you know, I I love those stories in in Luke uh, 15 that that Jesus tells, and and, uh, the the widow who lost a coin, um, the shepherd who lost one sheep out of a hundred, um, and the father who lost a son out of two, and and yet the the uh, the end of each of those stories, the the message that Jesus wanted to convey to us is that there is incredible joy in heaven among the angels over one sinner that repents, because that marks this incredible change that mm-hmm. takes place for that person that's dearly loved by God. That's great. It's interesting in that section in Romans two where he's been talking about how everyone's underneath God's wrath that and one can't achieve this the precious righteousness of God on one's own but he says it's it's the kindness and mm. forbearance and patience it's God's kindness that's meant to lead you to repentance that's good that's good and i have a sense a feeling that uh, just as you mentioned the self-righteousness in judas also there was a lack of faith in God's willingness to forgive him for betraying Jesus uh, the son of glory and um, and so uh, let's just close this session by reminding the listener that uh, repentance is not simply therefore uh, by virtue of everything we've said not simply uh, something that happens at the beginning of our walk of faith it's not uh, just simply that initiation into the Christian life where we repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ but Scripture says that we are continually repenting of our sins as we recognize them, just as the Corinthians were called uh, saints and yet called also to exercise repentance uh, for the sinful attitudes that Paul has written to them and discussed in chapter 7. And so we uh, are constantly being called to repent, aren't we? That's right. Well, that's right, and 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 every person is is called as well, so... Each person is called all the time to repent, and uh, you know, for for an unbeliever, the offer of salvation is is open. It's it's a this rich invitation, and uh, you know, I, I love uh, that passage in Acts seventeen, uh, which says, "The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent." Mm-hmm. And uh, repentance leads to life. And then for us as believers, that daily there's a pursuit of sin and a killing of it, and repentance is such an important part of our walking by God's Spirit to to kill sin. As uh, John Owen says, you know, be killing sin or sin be killing us, right? That's good. That's good. And so while the word repentance isn't specifically mentioned in 1 John chapter 1, verses 9, and that passage that talks about confession and being cleansed, it certainly is the heart of that passage, isn't it? To repent of the ongoing aspects of sin in our lives and to receive the cleansing that comes 
uh, through confession and uh, and a turning away from sin. I like how Paul says that uh, the Thessalonian believers were those who turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to await for his son, to wait for his son Jesus from heaven who saves us from the wrath to come. And so I trust that this session has been helpful for our listeners on repentance and uh, Uh, We trust that uh, God will always lead us in repentance as we grow in our knowledge of his love for us. God bless you.